Good morning. It is great to be with you here this morning, this beautiful October morning. Uh, When we got up this morning, it was such a beautiful Sunday morning on the first weekend of October. We knew that was good news for the balloons, but not necessarily good news for our early morning worship service. Uh, But actually, there are more people here than I thought there would be, so I'm glad that you're here and we're going to be able to spend this time together. As we start, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Father, we see your hand in creation. Father, we hear your words speak to us through the beauty of your creation, the the beautiful crisp fall mornings, Father, the beautiful mountains, the aspens that we see up on the ridgetops. Father, thank you for those reminders and speaking to us through your creation. And Father, as we spend time talking about the word that has been passed down to us, Father, those ancient words that have been preserved through your power. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Father, help us to take your word into our lives, make it part of us, write it on the tablets of our hearts. So, Father, your word can do its transforming work in and through us. And, Father, we pray this prayer through Jesus, who is the Christ, and who is the word in the flesh. Amen. Well, last week we kicked off a new sermon series that we're calling The New Me. And in this series, we're focusing on the powerful and inviting biblical image of having a brand new life. A brand new life in Jesus Christ. We're examining the promise of new life living in Jesus Christ after emerging from the waters of baptism. And last week we saw that as we come up out of the water... Our transformation into a new person is immediate. But we also saw that that transforming work is also ongoing. We saw that when we came out of the water, everything changed, but nothing changed. Everything changed in the way that we are seen by our God. But on the other hand, nothing changed when we came out of the water because we brought our old minds and our old flesh up out of the water with us. The change we experienced in God's eyes was immediate. But the change that we have to experience in order to realize, in order to grab hold of the new me that we were always intended to be, that requires ongoing change. Everything changed when we came out of the water. And yet, nothing changed. And that is why all of us, each and every one of us, is a renewal project. We're all works in progress. And God has provided a variety of ways for that work to take place in our lives. And that work must take place for our new lives, for the new me, to reflect Jesus Christ. And one of the powerful ways that God works to renew us and transform us is through his word. Through scripture through the words spoken by God and spoken through his servants. And that's going to be our focus today. Today we'll see that in order for there to be a new me, this me must be fed by God's word. And to help feed us, each week in this series, as we kind of begin our sermons, we're going to rehearse three short passages of Scripture Three short passages of scripture that talk about this new me living. 
And we're going to rehearse these verses together because we want to feed on these verses. We want to engrave these verses on our hearts. We want to engrave them on our hearts so they'll become part of our new life identity that we find in Jesus Christ. So the first scripture each week that we're going to rehearse together is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The second verse that we're going to weekly rehearse together is from Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul also is writing, and he says this, he says, We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Then the third and final verse that we're going to rehearse together every Sunday during this series is from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, pay special attention to this, because I'm going to ask you to repeat this verse with me after I say it to you one more time, okay? So listen up. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So are you ready? Let's say that together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We want to continue to rehearse those verses as we go through these weeks so we can write them on our hearts so they'll transform our lives. And each week, these verses are going to help remind us that it is actually possible to be transformed into the new me so the new me looks like Jesus Christ and it's possible in this life. These verses will remind us that new me living isn't just some future promise to be found on the other side of our graves. New me living is something for us to grab hold of in this life. And as we rehearse these verses every week, we'll be reminded that our renewal is the transforming power and transforming work of God. It's God's work through his word that transforms us. But we'll also be reminded that we have to do our part in order for God to do his God's word won't transform us if we don't consume his word. God's word won't renew our lives if we don't make his word a part of our lives. And so as we do that, we'll also be reminded that the new me is going to look less and less like the old me. And it's going to look more and more like Jesus Christ. 
Because we're not looking to just change. We're not looking for change just for change's sake. No, we're looking to be renewed into the very image of Jesus Christ. And we can actually see that change. We can see that change in our hearts and in our minds. We can see that change in our attitudes and in our thoughts. We can see that change in our desires and our actions as they reflect more and more the heart and mind, the attitudes and thoughts, the desires and actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that kind of transformation can only take place if we're eating properly. That kind of renewal will only take place if we're consuming the right kind of food. You know, one of the popular phrases that we hear a lot when nutritionists are trying to convince us that we should eat better. One of the things they say is, remember, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. That's a phrase that reminds us that if we want to be healthy, we should be consuming healthy food. And the downside, it also reminds us that if we continually eat unhealthy food, we shouldn't be surprised if we find that we are unhealthy. And that same principle is even more true when we're talking about spiritual food, when we're talking about our spiritual diets. See, if we want to live transformed lives, we have to consume transforming foods. And transforming food only comes from the mouth of God. Our lives can't be transformed with our old food. We shouldn't be surprised when the result of of consuming our old food is the fact that we look just like our old selves, the old me. You are what you eat. You know, when Moses was nearing the end of his life and Israel was preparing to move into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses reminded the people about the importance of their spiritual diet. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1, Moses tells the people, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order that what was in your heart, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." The new me living that we're talking about is fueled by consuming every word out of the mouth of God. You are what you eat. But transformation won't take place if all we do is just mindlessly ingest a bunch of words that happen to be written in the Bible. If we do it mindlessly, then all we're doing is consuming empty calories. Those words may sound good. They may even taste good, but they won't transform us. If you want to know what, how to make God's word a transforming meal, you should listen to this. This is from Psalm 119, and the psalmist writes this. 
beginning in verse 11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. See, that's how you consume God's word. There are no empty calories in that kind of meal. Have you ever eaten a meal that you enjoyed that much? A meal that you just couldn't stop talking about. A meal that brought you great pleasure. A meal that you couldn't stop thinking about. A meal that you just couldn't wait to have again. The kind of meal that stays with you long after the food that you consume is actually digested. See, when we eat God's word that way, transformation takes place. When we eat God's word that way, it changes us because it becomes a part of us. New me living hides. New me living stores. It treasures. It writes God's word in our hearts and on our hearts. You see, you're not only what you eat, You're also how you eat. And when you eat God's word that way, when it becomes a part of you, when it's written on your heart, then it's always with you. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 17. He says, pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply to your heart what I teach. For it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips. Always ready on your lips. See, the new me always has God's word available to me. And it's available to me because it's in my heart. And because it's in my heart, it's on my lips. And because it's in my heart, it's on my thoughts. You've probably heard this good advice. You should always take God's word with you. And when that advice is given, it usually means you should always carry your Bible with you. You should take your Bible with you wherever you go. That's good advice. And that's advice that's easier to follow now than it's ever been in the history of mankind. I don't know about you, but I have the Bible on my phone, and I have the Bible on my desktop, and I have the Bible on my laptop, and I have the Bible on my Kindle, and I have the Bible in my Bible. I have the Bible everywhere. It's easier than ever to always have my Bible with me wherever I go. But having the Bible in my hand is not the same as having the Bible in my heart. See, God's word can only truly be available to me at all times if it has become a part of me. As many of you know, a couple of weeks ago, I went bow hunting for elk. And while I was hunting, I had a rather embarrassing 
reminder of what it's like to not have something available to you that you really need. I got up about 4.30 in the morning. It was nice and dark, but there was a beautiful bright moon. I ate my breakfast. I did my daily Bible reading. And then I left camp in the dark. And by the light of that bright moon, I hiked a couple of miles in the dark to get exactly where I wanted to be on that morning. I knew right where I wanted to be at dawn. And everything worked out perfectly. And as I'm standing there in the dark, exactly where I want to be, down below me in the meadow, I can hear two bull elk sparring. I can hear their huge, I'm convinced they're huge even though I didn't see them, huge antlers sparring together, making noise in the darkness. And as I'm congratulating myself on a perfect plan, perfectly executed, and as I'm deciding where I want to position myself so I'll have the perfect shot at one of those large bull elk, as they move up toward me, I realize something. I realized one fatal flaw to this otherwise perfect plan. I didn't have my bow with me. My bow's back at camp with Curtis. And bow hunting without a bow really isn't bow hunting. It's just a long hike in the dark. So as I'm hustling back to camp to get my bow, there are two thoughts running through my mind. The first thought running through my mind is, are you kidding me? You call yourself a bow hunter and you can't even take your bow with you? You're not ready. Second thought running through my mind is, man, this is going to make a great sermon illustration because after all, I am a preacher. But see, if God's word isn't in our hearts, if it's not a part of us, if it's not always available to us, if we haven't consumed it, if we haven't digested it, if we leave God's word back at camp, if it stays on our phones or in our computers or on the written pages of our Bibles, it can't transform us because it isn't a part of us. And I'm afraid that in this digital age, we often take false comfort in the fact that the Bible is always right at our fingertips. But if God's word doesn't move from our fingertips to our hearts, we can't expect our lives to be transformed from the old me to the new me. And that's why I think it's really important that we recapture the old-fashioned way of feasting on God's word. So I want you to listen to Moses describe this old-fashioned feast. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and impress them on your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Unlike us, Moses lived in an oral 
culture. God's word wasn't readily available to read. In fact, nothing was readily available to read. Information was transmitted orally, vocally. And if you wanted to have that information available to you, you had to make sure that you listened. You had to make sure that you learned. You had to make sure that you repeated those words. You had to write those words on your heart. We know how that works, right? We know how things can be written on our hearts. I don't know about you, but I'm amazed at the number of songs that I know. It's embarrassing because Kathy has to listen to this. But if you put on an oldie station that plays country and western music from the 50s and 60s, or if you put on an oldie station that plays rock and roll music from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, it's a rare song that comes on that I can't sing along with. Not sing along well with, but sing along with. Those lyrics are written on my heart. Not from reading the lyrics, but from hearing those songs over and over again and singing along with those songs over and over again. And that's the flavor that Moses is capturing here. That's the kind of environment that Moses is describing here. An environment that leads to God's word being written on our hearts. And you'll notice that the beginning of that environment isn't a command. The beginning point of that environment is an attitude. It's a hunger. The beginning point is a passion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. See, if we're not passionate about our God, we won't be passionate about his word. And if we aren't passionate about his word, if we don't hunger for his word, then we're not going to feast on his word. If we're passionate about God's word, we won't be able to keep his word to ourselves. We'll have to share God's word with other hungry people. We know what it's like to be around people who are passionate about something, don't we? See, people who are passionate about something, they just can't stop talking about it. Golfers can't stop talking about golf. Triathletes can't stop talking about triathlons. Granddads can't stop talking about their grandsons. And bow hunters can't stop talking about bow hunting. People who are passionate about something can't stop talking about it. So if we are impressed with God's word, if we are passionate about God's word, if his word has affected us deeply, if his word is written on our hearts, we can't help but impress it. We can't help but work to fix God's word deeply and firmly in the hearts of those that we love, especially on our children, especially impress the word of God on the hearts of our children. And so to do that, what do we do? We talk about God's word. We talk about God's word when we're at home, and we talk about God's word when we're on the road. We talk about God's word as we're going to bed at night, and we talk about God's word when we get up in the morning, and we talk about God's word every point in between. 
And the reason that we're constantly talking about God's word is because our lips are directly connected to our hearts. Our words are the overflow of what is in our hearts. See, we not only are what we eat, we also speak what we eat. But not everything in this feast is oral. Not everything in this feast is spoken. Not everything is vocal. See, Moses also reminds us of the importance of symbols, the importance of reminders, the importance of signs that point us to God's word, that constantly remind us to focus on God's word. That's why we put banners up in our auditorium. That's why some of us are wearing bracelets around our wrists. That's why we have coffee mugs and bumper stickers and posters that remind us of things that God's word really does say. Because they point us to, they redirect us to God's word. They remind us of God's word. They also help engrave God's word on the tablets of our hearts. And that's when God's word will do its transforming work in our lives, from the old me to the new me. When his word isn't just at our fingertips, but when his word is in our hearts, written deeply on our hearts. So in practice, how does that happen? How do we engrave the word of God deeply on the tablets of our hearts? Well, we know how that can happen, right? We know how that can happen because we're seeing it happen among us today. And I think this year, as we've been going through this Project 6K Challenge, we're learning that there aren't any shortcuts. There's no substitute for quality time. And there's no substitute for quantity time in God's word. In our reading challenge this year, in Project 6K Challenge, it's once more demonstrated to us how vital it is for us to engage in significant time in God's word. In frequent time, in regular time, in disciplined reading time. And that's exactly what many of us have been doing throughout this year. Here comes the Project 6K update. You don't read 6,033 books of the Bible by the first Sunday in October. You can stop, you can applaud, you can do whatever you want to. We cross the goal, right? 6,033, first weekend in October. That was kind of lame. You can applaud now. Thank you. In the first weekend in October, we've exceeded our goal. And you don't do that if you aren't engaging in significant, frequent, regular, daily, disciplined reading of God's word. That's what we've been doing. I know not everybody has been reporting to me what you've been reading, but at least 154 of us have been engaged in frequent, significant, regular, and disciplined Bible reading. 154. That means that God's word is being written. It's been engraved on hearts. It means that lives are being transformed. But it isn't the reading alone that's transforming lives. 
It's also the thinking about what is being read. It's the mulling over of what's been read. It's the reflecting on what's being read. It's the meditating on God's word. To stay with our eating theme, it's the chewing of God's word that is writing it on our hearts and it's transforming our lives. But it's not just the reading and the meditating that transforms lives. It's not just the reading and meditating that writes God's word on our hearts. It's also the study of God's word that's engraving it on our hearts and transforming our lives. It's the study of God's word. When we come together, when we share together our knowledge about God's word, when we share together our thoughts about God's word, when we share together our insights and our questions about God's word, when we come together to study, things happen together that just can't happen when we're alone with God's word. Solomon famously put it this way, when we come together, iron sharpens iron. That's why our Sunday Bible classes... That's why our small groups, that's why our Sunday night services here at the building, that's why our Thursday morning ladies Bible class, that's why our Tuesday night women of truth Bible study, it's why our Wednesday night devotionals, that's why the sunset classes that we've just started on Wednesday nights and any number of other studies that are going on in this congregation, that's why they're so important. Because they help engrave God's word on our hearts. So that word can transform our lives. So the new me looks less and less like that old me. and looks more and more like Jesus Christ. God's word is transforming. It's transforming if it's written on our hearts. So let me say this to you. If you're passionate about God... And you're here this morning, so I assume you are passionate about God. Then also be passionate about his word. If you're not disciplined in reading his word, then get disciplined in reading his word. If you're not spending time chewing on God's word, then spend time chewing on his word. And if you're not coming together with others to study the Bible, if your iron isn't being sharpened by the iron of others, then you need to spend time sharpening your iron by studying his word with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a feast available for all of us. My prayer is that we'll all step up to the table and dine richly on God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, help that love to be with every fiber of our beings, with our hearts and our souls and our strength. And Father, help our love for you be fed and enriched by a love for your word. Father, help us to be hungry for your word. Help us to be never satisfied as we continue to consume your word. And Father, we pray that you will write, you will inscribe the words from your mouth onto the tablets of our hearts. 
So, Father, that we will grow to be more and more like you. We'll reflect you and your son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So as we close, let's talk a little bit more about our Project 6K challenge. So we've reached our goal, right? We've gone over 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. So we can do any number of things. One of the things that we could do is we could stop, right? We've reached our goal. We can chalk that up. Victory, we can stop. But that's not how hungry people react. Now, hungry people react, want more and more of God's word. So what we're going to kick off this morning is something that we're calling the sprint to the finish. If you look in your bulletins, you'll find a half-page insert that looks exactly like this. Pull it out, hold it up, so I know that everybody has one. You should have one. There's one in every bulletin. Sprint to the finish, Project 6K, 90-day New Testament reading plan. It's a simple plan. It's a 90-day plan. By the way, to terrify you, there are, starting tomorrow, there are 90 days left in 2016, just 90 days It's a plan to read three or four chapters out of the New Testament every day. It's a plan for significant, frequent, regular, disciplined reading time. It's a plan for significant, frequent, regular, disciplined eating time. Feasting on God's word. So, who is this plan for? Well, it's for all of us, I hope. But specifically... This plan offers a second chance. I know that there are some among us that had great intentions back in January. Great intentions to follow a Bible reading plan, to read through the New Testament or the entire Bible in a year, and it just didn't happen. Life happened. Our Bible reading didn't. Here's a second chance to take up this Bible reading plan and over the next 90 days read through the New Testament. For some of you, though, this is a first chance. There are a number of you who weren't here in January, who have come to Netherwood since then, and never even had an opportunity to take on that challenge. So here's an opportunity for you to join in to our Project 6K challenge. Or it may be a first chance if back in January you're like, I'm not doing that, you can't make me do it, I don't care how much you talk about it, Walter, I'm not doing it. If you've changed your mind in the nine months since then, here's an opportunity to join in. And here's an opportunity to begin to form a habit, a habit of daily Bible reading. See, if you'll do this for 90 days, when the 90 days is over, a habit will be formed. You'll be ready to carry that on into 2017 and the years that are to come. This is also an opportunity for the next three months to put yourself in the presence of Jesus Christ. To put yourself in the presence of his disciples. To spend 90 days immersed in the New Testament and in the Gospels that tell us about Jesus. who allow, The Gospels that allow us to hear his word. To see him work. To see him act. 90 days when we can listen to his apostles and his disciples talk to us about what, it, what it's like. What it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They'll put you in the presence of Jesus. They'll put you in the presence of his disciples. And the final thing that it will do for us 
It'll bring us together. It will join us together. It will unite us together. See, any time that we as a group have a common purpose, any time we as a group have a common focus, that transforms us as a family. It transforms us as a church. Because remember, we are what we eat. And if you'll spend the next 90 days consuming the New Testament, you'll be more and more like Jesus Christ. You'll be more and more like his disciples. So won't you join us? Won't you join us over the next 90 days as we sprint to the finish of our Project 6K challenge, feasting on God's word. And again, remember, you are what you eat. So please, let's all write God's word. Let's all engrave God's word on the tablets of our hearts. And then we'll be able to stand confidently on the promises of our God. Let's stand, let's sing about those promises. Yeah.